Hey, hey, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. My name is Andy Neary. Each week, I sit down with abundant thinkers who are kicking ass in life. And we deconstruct the formulas they have used to have success in business and in life to help you unpack your life, your business, so you can do the same. So put a smile on, grab a pen and a paper, get ready to take a ton of notes because you, my friend, are about to go on a wild ride. Here we go. Hey, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. I am excited this week to bring you Aaron Golub. If you don't know who Aaron is, you are going to absolutely love his story by the time this interview is over. Aaron is not only inspiring, I think by the time this episode's over, you'll realize that you have no excuse. None of us do, not including myself. Why? Because Aaron has led, I don't know, a pretty unique life. You see, he was born legally blind. He has no vision in his right eye, very limited vision in his left eye. And it would have been so easy for Aaron to let this handicap hold himself back, but he hasn't. In fact, by the time he was in middle school, he realized he wanted to play football. He wanted to excel in the athletic arena. And he had everybody telling him he was crazy to think he could play such a physical sport being legally blind, but he tuned him out. He did not let their opinions influence decisions he was making in his life. And as he continued to advance in his football endeavors, more people tell him, Aaron, enjoy the ride, be happy you're just playing. You are crazy to think that you can continue advancing into high school football and don't even think about playing college football. But again, Aaron did not let this hold him back. In fact, Aaron, because of his tenacity and his relentlessness, became the first legally blind Division I college football player ever. When he agreed to walk on at the University of Tulane to become a long snapper. And Aaron went on to have a successful career at Tulane, even had conversations with NFL teams. Now Aaron is a, a successful financial advisor in the Boston, Massachusetts area. And again, his story is just inspiring. Because we all find ourselves using really easy excuses right now not to take the action that we know we need to be taking. So I want you to use Aaron's advice today, Aaron's words, to drive you forward, use them as a catalyst to start moving forward in your career, in your life. Yes, we're all facing adversity right now, but it's our tenacity, our ability to not give up, our ability to plow forward even though things seem difficult that are going to lead to our success down the road. So do yourself a favor, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, put your seatbelt on, because you are absolutely going to love Aaron's story. Here we go. Shift your mindset. All right. Welcome aboard, Aaron. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me today, Andy. Yeah, no, this is going to be fun, man. This, is, uh, this will be an inspiring conversation for sure. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the obvious. You know, you, be, you, be, you becoming the first legally blind uh, athlete to ever play Division One football. But before we get there, I would like for you to maybe just kick this interview off. Um, for the people listening in who have no idea who Aaron Golub is, tell us a little bit about you, where you live today, what do you do, you know, what makes you tick right now? Yeah, so kind of my background, I'm from Boston. I was born legally blind, became the first legally blind Division One athlete to play in a game at Tulane University, was named the team captain in my senior year, went on to become an NFL free agent. 
after that kind of dove into the world of finance, the world of speaking, the world of coaching, and, and do kind of a mixture of all of that now, which is a lot of fun, rewarding, and, and really get to impact the lives of others on a daily basis. And that was, uh, you just, I think you just packed the whole interview in about two minutes right there. <laughs> so let's start diving into that though, because you were born legally blind, right? And yeah. if, I, if I have it correct, you are completely blind in the right eye and legally yep. blind in the left eye. And so as a, as an early, you know, a young child mentally, maybe, maybe we go here, you know, did you recognize or know you were different or because you were born that way, that's just, you know, just the way you've always been. What thoughts went through your head as a young child, somebody who's legally blind? Yeah. I I mean, I think as a young child, I probably didn't know any different and it probably wasn't impacting me. Once you kind of develop an age, I mean, not even that old, maybe seven, eight, six, seven, eight, whatever it is, you kind of get to that point where certain kids are doing certain things. It takes you longer to do those things, whatever it may be. And you understand that, okay, there are other challenges. I need to adapt in certain ways, you know, and same with today, you know, simple things for me, take you two seconds, take me longer. Mm. I mean, cooking a piece of chicken on the stove is incredibly complicated for me because I have no idea when the meat is fully cooked. I have to find other ways to figure that out. And so just small tasks like that are, are much more difficult for me. You know, Aaron, you just saying that, I think made me want to punch my own throat <laughs> because we, I've been having this conversation so many times lately about COVID and the pandemic. And, you know, when you want to go out, if you try to go to a restaurant or you try to go to a grocery store right now, how everything just seems to take a little bit longer these days. Everything just seems to be a little bit harder than it was even six months ago. But now hearing you say what you have to deal with on a daily basis and have for your whole life, it's like, you know what? I've got nothing to complain about. If it takes a couple of minutes longer, who cares? Exactly. And so were you always, uh, were you always an athlete? Growing up? Yeah, I mean, growing up, I played a bunch of different sports. I was never really good at any of them. Um, you know, I played baseball as a kid, actually. I uh, probably up until when the parents stopped pitching, um, kind of realized that, you know, my dad couldn't stand in the outfield with me and they couldn't, you know, throw the ball to me and tell me when to swing, which, you know, so it worked for, for a little bit and then kind of stopped working. Um, but besides that, I mean, I you know, snowboarded. I still do snowboard, but, you know, the really main team sport that I got into in seventh grade was football. And you grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, which yeah. is, is that south side, southwest side of Boston? Yeah. yeah. Okay, it is. All right. So growing up, you know, it, it, it's amazing. I was thinking of a, a, a guy I used to know growing up back in Wisconsin. He was a, a mentor of mine at one time. He actually suffered from an illness for almost two years as a child that, that caused him to lose his sight. And he got it back. But he said those two years where he lost his sight were some of the most insightful years he ever had. Because when you can't see all that much, or in some cases, not at all, you often find yourself having a lot of internal conversations, right? You have to almost create your own world that most other people see that you don't quite see the same way. Was it that way for you as a child where, where you found yourself kind of painting the world as you saw it? You know, I think maybe yes and no. I think I was really, you know, I was always very curious about different things. And so I would, whether that means I had to get up really close to something or, you know, feel something or whatever it may be to try and get a better idea, because I really wanted to know and understand everything around me, even if I had a tough time seeing it. I mean, you'll see me today, I'm looking at my phone and I hold it against my face 
and it's, it's that's just so I can read what's on there. Yeah, that's a really good point. And again, it kind of goes back to what you just said a little bit earlier, how everything just maybe takes a little longer. Is it just a bit harder than let's call it the average Joe is used to. Um, let's dive into the football. Cause you, you said, you know, you gravitated in seventh grade to football. If you can, if you can recall, take us back to those first maybe couple of weeks playing football when, when you, when you've got, you know, here you are out for the team and you obviously have, uh, you're different than others on the field for one reason. How was that? You know, what difficulty did you, did you have early on trying to play the game of football when sight is, is such a challenge for you? Yeah. And, and I'll throw on top of being legally blind. I was a very undersized kid, um, a very small, very skinny kid. And I think I, you know, I couldn't play a quarterback position or a wide receiver position or a safety. And so in the beginning, I played offense and defensive line. And that's, you know, you hit the person in front of you, especially in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, you know, it's really all that mattered. Plug the gap, hit the person <laughs> in front of you. That's what I did. Um, it was definitely hard, you know, being undersized, being legally blind, there were a lot of challenges there. And I was just trying to be a part of the team and get better. And I never really played a ton for the first, you know, let's call it four years, seventh through 10th grade. I played during garbage time at the end of games when we were up or down big, but that's not playing football. That's playing because your coach feels sympathetic and throws in the guys who don't play at the end. And really in 10th grade, I had enough of that. And I said, I want to be a starter. I want to play in college. I want to play division one football. So I went from 10th grade being a backup lineman on junior varsity to I'm going to play division one football and I just created a plan instead of thinking about it. I followed through. I just took action. And I said, maybe if I become good enough at long snapping, I can play division one football. I just started trying to long snap, started trying to learn and just put in the work and the effort that no one else would. You know, that's so interesting what you said before we get into the long snapping. I do have a couple of questions if you don't mind. And I, I hope I'm, these are not ignorant questions that I'm asking you, but when you, when you were playing the defensive line, you know, being legally blind, was it tough to make sure you got off on the snap of the ball? I mean, what, were there any techniques, any tactics you used to make sure that you were getting off as quick as the others were? Yeah. I mean, as defensive line, I would never be a defensive end or something. I was always nose guard right above the center. Um, Okay. You know, I might've been a little slower, but like I really focused on the ball. And as soon as I could see the ball move, I would go. I mean, yes, I was probably a little slower, but when I was literally like a few inches from the ball and that's what I was staring at, I could kind of tell. So interesting, a message there that I don't want to get forgotten. And that's, you had to be laser focused. Yeah. You had to be so focused and, and tune everything out because in order for you to actually play at game speed, your focus would had to be so much higher than anybody, everybody else. That's awesome. So the moment you said, you know what? Because most kids don't think this way. You know what? I'm going to go from backup lineman on, on, the, on the junior varsity. And, hell, I am going to play college football. Not just college football. I am going to play Division One football. I want to unpack that a little bit because you said you made a plan. Now, I'm just curious. Was it just one day you woke up and you're like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to play Division One football. Man, I don't think it was one day. I think it was just uh... – a compound effect of events and I think it was just I was tired of being a backup not really getting the recognition not playing and I just I wanted something more it's it was plain and simple it's the same thing why you know 
someone goes from being poor to being really rich in, in a matter of a year because they're sick of being poor and they just outwork everyone else and work ridiculous hours and do it. I was sick and tired of being a backup. I was sick and tired of not playing. And I, I, I wanted to make a name for myself. And I just, that kind of launched me into, I'm going to put in the work and the hours that no one else is going to do. And I'm going to earn my spot. That's so awesome. Because I wanted to ask you, was there ever a moment whether it was younger as a younger child in middle school and high school where you wanted to just give into the fact you were legally blind and just accept it. And that's the way things are going to be. Or were you somebody that it was always like, you just showed me there. Like you didn't even care that you had this, this uh, hurdle that you were like, screw this. I am not backing up anymore. I'm playing. Was there ever a moment where you felt like, let's call it, take it the easy road and use your blindness as a, it is what it is and kind of just give in to that or no? Not, not really. Not that I can think of, but okay. that, that, you know, everyone as a kid has, has their challenges, especially in the middle high middle school, high school frame. And I never said I'm going to give up in, on football, but there were probably times where I felt bad for myself. And I, you know, was upset that I wasn't doing as well as I thought I wanted to, or, or I wasn't playing, whatever it is. But you know, I think over the years that just disappeared. And in, in 10th grade, I really just hit that mark where I was like, I, I've had enough of this. I'm not, I'm not being this person anymore. I'm changing everything. And, you know, I was lifting every day regardless, in, you know, freshman year and sophomore year. And then the end of my sophomore season, I was like, I'm, I'm taking this to a new level. I'm, I'm going to outwork everyone. I'm going to, I'm going to change everything in my life. You know, I'm curious because today, you often see parents who push their kids really hard in athletics, right? And unfortunately, I see it leads to a lot of burnout for kids. And I can tell, obviously, you didn't need that push. But how were your parents through this whole process? Were they very supportive? Or were they kind of like, Aaron, you know, let's get realistic here. I've got to believe they were probably pretty supportive of your efforts. So at first, they were definitely concerned, just like in seventh grade of me playing football in general, um, just the safety aspect. But they knew it was something important for me, something that would really help me whether it be the teamwork aspect, the building relationships with others, whatever it is, and so they let me play. Um, but, you know, they, they never pushed me, but they were always supportive. And so when I said I wanted to play you know, Division One football, when I said I wanted to go to these long snapping camps and practice, they did whatever they could to help me. My dad never once said, do you want to go out and snap tomorrow morning? So every single morning, 10th through 12th grade, I went and snapped at school at 5 in the morning. And, he, and on the weekends. And he never once said, do you want to go snap tomorrow morning? But if I asked him and I said, dad, can we go tomorrow morning to the gym? He would go every single time. Because if I was willing to put in the work, he was willing to do what he could to support me. And same with my mom. My dad wasn't free. And I said, mom, can you drive me and I'll go snap to, to the pole or to the goalpost or whatever it is? She would do it if I asked. It's, they would never push me. But if I was willing to put in the work, they would support me. That's awesome. That, that, that's so, so important. And, you know, I just think about what I love about your story, Aaron, is for, for many, just getting that chance to step on the field once as a legally blind athlete would be like, the, that would be the end of the movie, right? That would be the end of the story. But for you, it's just the beginning. That's what I love about this is the, you've had adversity all the way through, but you ha- you're now sitting here as a sophomore in high school looking to, you know, looking to use long snapping as your chance to make it to division one football. And I, you know, a quote I pulled from an article that I read about you is you never just wanted to be a feel good story. Yeah. 
yeah, here you are, you're legally blind, but who cares? I'm still an athlete. I'm still a human. I'm still one heck of an athlete that has a chance to play college football. So let's dive into your plan because you said you made a plan. When you hit that sophomore year, you said, screw it. I'm done being a backup. I want to play Division One football. Tell us a little bit about that plan because I think what I love about it too is, you know, let's start with here. Why long snapping? So I, I just thought it might be a position that if I got good enough at, I could have an opportunity. And so the summer, after practicing a ton throughout the winter, spring, and summer of my sophomore year, during the summer, I went to a camp, a Rubio long snapping camp, where, you know, you, you get instruction, you get nationally ranked, and I thought, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to be this amazing long snapper. And I get in and I watch, I mean, the film's still on YouTube today. I snap the ball, just sail it over the punter's head, and I was horrible. And at that moment, I realized, okay, all this work I've been putting in, I need to work 10 times harder to be as good as everyone else and 20 times harder than I'm working right now to be better than everyone else. And that was another turning point because I said, wow, I'm not really that good. I got to push even further if I want to be better than these other guys. And it just, the plan was just outwork everyone that whether that be on the field in the mornings, in the weight room after school, reaching out to colleges. When I tell you I contacted every college football team in the country, I literally mean I contacted every college football team in the country. Several, like, to the point where either they didn't respond to me five times, so I crossed them off the list, or they responded and were like, we're not interested. If they, if, if they didn't respond for a bit, I would just keep sending them because I wanted to play. It just, it's that perseverance and that dedication, and it's a numbers game. Just keep contacting schools, keep contacting people in business, whatever it is. You know, and, and another word that comes to my mind right there is relentless. Um, what would you tell, I'm curious, what would you tell a kid at that age, that's that freshman, sophomore, who has people, because I had to believe you had people telling you all along the way, throwing their opinions at you saying, hey man, be realistic, it's not going to happen, you know, just, just be happy you're playing football, all those opinions that get thrown at you, and you didn't, I got to believe you didn't listen whatsoever, and that's what, that tenacity and that relentlessness just to keep going after. What would you tell a kid like that who, who knows what he's going after, she's going after, but he's, she's hearing all the voices of the people telling them they can't do it? Yeah, I think two things. And first off, outwork everyone else. Don't let anyone else even compare to the amount of hard work that you're putting in everything you do. Number two, respect the opinions of others. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone's opinion is worth listening to, but do not value anyone's opinion besides yourself. I respect everyone's opinion. Anyone can tell me anything and I respect their thoughts, their beliefs, their opinion. I don't value anyone's opinion but my own. Because at the end of the day, it does not matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter what my neighbor thinks of me. It doesn't matter what my friend thinks of me. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks of me except myself. And when you can understand that, and that's a really hard concept to grasp, especially for kids in high school. But when you can grasp that, you're willing to take the actions and pursue your goals because you don't care at all about anyone else's perception of you you don't care what anyone else thinks and you'll achieve so much more success because you're not doing it for their approval. Oh, that I hope every kid in America hears that message, especially right now when it's so easy to be impressionable with social media and everything out there. And most of my audience, Aaron is business professional. So I hope they take that snippet and they share it with their kids because that, that was so important. So let's go back to the long snapping. You know, it, you, what you reminded me of is I'm a big Wisconsin Badger fan. And we've had a couple guys that have lasted quite a long time in the NFL as long snappers. And it's always amazing. You, you ask, like, what position on the football field allows somebody to have a very long career? Long snapping would have to be at the top of that list. 
kicker, punter, long snapper, those three. There you go. And it's like baseball, you know, in, in, in the baseball, professional baseball, one of the quickest paths for a pitcher to the professional level is somebody who's a specialist, whether it's a setup guy, the guy that comes in the seventh inning, the lefty that faces lefties, whatever that is, that is the quickest route to the major leagues for a pitcher. But what you said is so important. If you're not outworking everybody else, if you're not putting the effort in, it's not going to matter at the end of the day. And there's something that I wanted to, to make sure you talked about because your high school schedule, in order for you to get better, you said earlier, you had to be not only 10 times better to be just as good as everybody else, or you had to work 10 times as hard. You had to work 20 times as hard to be better than everybody else. And I hope everybody hears that. So tell us, what was your high school schedule like? Because you kind of had a morning routine when you made that decision about, I'm going to be a long snapper and I'm going to be a Division I football player. It reminded, your morning routine reminded me a little bit of Larry Bird. Tell us about your morning routine. Yeah, so I was thankful that I had a mentor, and, and I still do, and this guy's name is Steve Burton. Um, his whole family basically played professional sports. His dad was Ron Burton, played for the Patriots, Hall of Famer, uh, played at Northwestern, an incredible athlete. And their, their whole family is very athletic. And so every morning there were four people, or really six people in the gym. It was me, my dad, Steve, his son. His son's a quarterback now in college. And, and his mom and his daughter, his daughter uh, plays basketball in college as well. And we were the only six people in the gym. And he was a mentor to me in the sense that he pushed me to achieve my goals. He really pushed me to get better every morning. And I think without him, I, you know, a lot of the success I've achieved wouldn't be there because I always wanted, he, he's the one person where, you know, I, I talked five minutes about, go about don't value anyone's opinion, but he was probably the one person's opinion that I really valued because he had that presence. He had that mentorship ability with me. And I really wanted to do what he thought was right. And so, you know, it was someone who he would watch my dad and I snap. And if I had a bad snap, he would yell over and go, Aaron, go give me 10 push-ups. You know, just things like that every single morning, being around him every day. And we still stay in touch and talk all the time today, I think really helped shape who I am. That's awesome. And not only, in the, not only did you have to work in the weight room, how many hours a day would you spend long snapping? It was probably an hour and a half every morning. Um, it's something where it's a position similar to pitching, like you said, where you can't just go out there and snap 300 balls. You know, I would, I would snap and then I would do drills. I would do, you know, other things around it. But it, it's the same thing of pitching is if you go out there and you snap or throw 300 balls, you're going to get too tired and it's not going to be worth it. So here you are. I love this. Here you are, a high school kid. And again, this is, there's so many business lessons tied into this. Um, I hope people aren't missing it. You have everybody in the world, or at least probably many, telling you that, you know, Aaron, um, I love your effort, love what you're trying to do, but let's be realistic. And your tenacity and your relentlessness, relentlessness is like, I don't hear you. And every day you just wake up being consistent. You wake up working on your long snapping. You wake up hitting the weight room. You do this day after day after day when so many people give up after two weeks if they haven't achieved whatever goal it is they're going after, right? So let's fast forward now to that moment. That moment you found out you were going to become a preferred walk-on at Tulane. Yeah, take, us I mean, back, take us back to that day. What was that like? I was thrilled. I mean, it was a phenomenal feeling to understand that my hard work had really paid off and they were willing to give me an opportunity. And you know, I think a lot of people would have taken that and said, oh, 
you know, this is awesome. I'm, I'm the best, whatever it may be. I quickly realized that, you know, all right, I'm a great long snapper out of high school, but I'm going into a whole different ball game. I need to ramp up the amount I'm working because I'm about to step in a locker room of guys who are the most athletic people I've ever seen, all state, all conference, all Americans. And so it just drove me to push myself even further. That's awesome. And how you, you, and you ended up, you started or went to Tulane, was it 2014? Yeah. Is that right? Um, what was that like? Tell me. I mean, what was it like playing Division One football? Especially, especially down in Tulane, you're playing in the Superdome. What was that feeling like standing on a Division One sideline? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a really unique experience, actually. So for me, I was my freshman year was the first year Tulane had their brand new stadium on campus. So mm, I, okay. I, I practiced in the Superdome somewhat during you know two days when it was really hot, but I never never actually played a game there. Um, but I was thankful that we had our own stadium. It was much better. Um, yeah, but I, I loved it. It was a great experience. The relationships I built at Tulane, the lessons I've learned, it was the perfect fit, the perfect school for me. And, and I really enjoyed the experiences that I had there. So what, again, what would you tell an aspiring athlete right now that you know, might be sitting there, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, um, Maybe they're average, an average athlete right now, but they, they know they have so much more potential, and, but they also know they only have four or five years left, and that, that, ch- that chance to play college sports could be fading in their mind. What would you tell a kid like that right now when it comes to not giving up? I'd say the chance hasn't been faded. You know, I, when I was 14, I was a backup lineman playing football. You know, I hadn't even begun long snapping. Just stop talking and start putting in the work. Stop telling people that you want to play a sport or you want to be good at it and go actually prove to people that you can put in the work to do it. No one cares what you say. They only care about the actions that you take. So really put in the work and anything is possible. And you ended up, if I'm correct, you ended up having a fairly successful career at Tulane, right? You had, you had a couple of conversations with a few NFL teams. Yeah, so I, I, I talked to a few NFL teams after my pro day. It was a lot of fun. Didn't end up making a roster, which, you know, totally fine with. It wasn't the right path for me. Um, but I did really well on my pro day and talked to some teams and kind of jump-started my career, which is something I wanted to do after football anyways. So, you know, I, I'm very thankful for the experiences that I had and thankful for where I'm going today. That is so awesome, man. I mean, just like I said, the, the chance that you even had, I, I don't want to say the chance you had to have a conversation with an NFL team. You know, most athletes – with full eyesight, don't ever get that chance. And for you to put yourself in that opportunity, and I know there might be people out there, this is as, as a former athlete myself, people out there who might, might feel like, well, Aaron, it must have been nice, or you, know, you should be so grateful. There's part of you that's like, you know what? What you don't see or you didn't see is the day in and day out hustle and grind and tenacity you had to put into that to even give yourself a chance, not only to long snap in high school, give yourself a chance to become a preferred walk on at Tulane and then give yourself even the chance to have a conversation with an NFL team. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of hard work and anything that you do is hard work. I mean, it's the same thing today, you know, in business, I've been able to achieve success because I wake up at 5 a.m. every day and I go to bed at 11 p.m. every day. And for those 18 hours, I'm doing work. I'm getting my stuff done. I'm building new contacts, new relationships, expanding everything I'm doing. 
and I'm exhausted by the end of the day. But you know what? I love everything I'm doing, so it's worth doing. It's the reason why I do it every single day. But bringing that back to football, like, yeah, if, if, if you know, I was really grateful for the opportunities I had to him and really grateful for the opportunities of the NFL. But it was a compound effect of hard work. You know, when you really think about it, I wasn't lucky. I wasn't gifted. It just stems down to the fact that I put in the work that no one else did. Yep. And that's, that's exactly it. I trust me. I've known plenty of athletes who had all the God given talent in the world and never went anywhere because of their mindset or their attitude. And so that's why I love sharing stories like yours, where you were, you were given every hurdle, every challenge, every adversity to quite frankly, give up early on in life when it came to sports and pursuing some of those passions you had, but you didn't and you made it, you almost made it to the top. That is such an inspiring story. So a couple questions with that, Aaron, if I may ask, looking back at your sports career now and the lessons you learned, whether it was uh, playing football in high school or playing at Tulane. What lessons have you learned from the football field that you now apply to your business? You know, I think, I don't know if this is really from the football field or not, but I think the biggest lesson that I've learned just throughout my life is understanding that things in life happen for you and not to you. And this is something that I talk about in my speeches all the time. And so if you think of things happening to you, you take the stance of a victim and you think, oh, woe is me, whatever. When you think of things happening for you, you can understand that, that, that life happens for you for a reason and it's challenges to make you better. And so going on that, you know, I'm about to say something you'll probably never hear someone who's legally blind say to you again, but I'm so thankful and blessed to be legally blind. It is a gift because it allows me to pave the way for others in sports, in business, in life, and in everything I'm doing and create an impact and inspire tons of people on a daily basis. And if I wasn't legally blind, I wouldn't have that opportunity. And realizing that that happened for me because it shaped who I am and it allows me to impact the lives of others on a daily basis is, is really incredible when you think of it that way. Well, and here's the deal, Aaron. You know, I, I, part of the coaching I provide to business professionals, I like to call them business athletes, is branding and brand messaging. And are, have you found, you know, you've got one heck of a story, right? Have you And it's a story people can resonate with because – Anytime people hear stories of overcoming adversity, of failure, uh, you know, it allows them to go, you know what, he's just like me. Have you found that kind of that brand, that story to help you in business today where it, give, it gives the chance to people for people to really connect with you and then inherently want to do business with you or want to be around you? You know, I think when I got into the world of business after college, my thought process was I want to sell, sell, sell. I want to create as much business as I possibly can. And I quickly learned not to do that because it didn't get me anywhere. And since then, I've really dove into my Instagram brand, to my public appearance and, and creating this life where, you know, I'm sharing my story, I'm helping others and I'm impacting others. And I've done a really good job of growing. I mean, I think when I started this kind of journey, I had like 600 followers on Instagram. Now I think I have like 25,000. And because of that, I've been able to share my story, impact the lives of others. And I'm never selling anything. All I'm doing is building relationships with people on a daily basis. If they want to work with me for some reason, awesome. But all I'm trying to do is spread my message, spread my story. And it's, it's helped so much more and such a better mindset to have when it comes to business. Awesome point. I want you to dive into that real quick. You've done well on social media by telling your story. And guess what? Everybody has a story. 
You don't have to be legally blind. You don't have to be a failed professional baseball player. Everybody has a story. So what advice would you give somebody out there? Because so many, Aaron, are afraid to put themselves out on social media when it can be one of the best ways to grow their brand and their business. What would be a couple pieces of advice you'd give somebody that's sitting there going, I don't think I have a story and I don't, uh, nobody's going to like what I have to say. Two things. First off, everyone has their own challenges. No one's is harder or more difficult or easier than others. I'm legally blind. You might have something else that's just as hard. I don't know what it is, but mine is no harder than yours. Everyone's is unique, different, and challenging. Going on that, people don't post on social media for one main reason. And that reason is because they fear the judgment of others and they fear that people are going to think about them. So going back to only valuing, valuing your opinion is crucial. But then going off of that, people really think that someone scrolls through their Instagram, looks at their posts, judges them, and thinks about them for the next 12 hours. That's not true. People are caught up in their own world. They think about you for five seconds when they look at your post, and then they completely forget about you 10 seconds later. No one cares about what you're doing an hour later. Like People are, are afraid to post because they're way too caught up in the fact that they think that others are going to judge them and really overthink what they're doing. And that's just not the case. Yeah, such good advice. And now, now let's quick, let's take that telling your story and now let's throw it on the stage because you are an inspi a very inspiring keynote speaker as well. But one thing that makes you unique is in many ways, you can't see the audience. And for so many people, they fear speaking even more than death, right? And I think one of the reasons that they fear speaking is I tell people this it's it's people imagine that they're that they're going to they're playing football I'll use this analogy they're playing football in the imposing team stadium and every fan that's in that stadium is there to watch them lose watch them screw up and I think that's one reason why people fear speaking is they think people are actually sitting in the audience waiting for them to screw up, which is not the case. But a lot of people, when they step on stage and they see that audience, they tense up. What is keynote speaking for you? Because again, you necessarily can't see everybody in the crowd. So how has that allowed you to become such a good speaker? Yeah. So I think a couple of things. And first off, you know, although I can't see people's facial expressions or what anyone's doing, like I can, I can tell if there's people there. Yeah. I'm not going to tell how many or what it is. So Honestly, I don't think that really affects me that much. I mean, obviously, I can't see, you know, people judging me on their face if they're paying attention or not. But I really don't think it's a difference maker. I think there's two reasons that's made me into a really good speaker. The first reason is when I was a senior in high school, I was on Good Morning America. And I was got a call one day. I was flown to New York, put on Good Morning America to share my story. And I didn't want to go on at first. And then I did it because a coach told me, if you can help one other person, then do this and share your story. And that's why I did it. But I was put in a situation at 17 years old where I had to either sing or swim right away. And you know what? I swam because I put in the work. And when most people are faced with a life or death or a sink or swim situation, they're going to live. They're going to swim. It just, it's plain and simple. And people don't understand that. The second aspect is, honestly, if I get on a stage tomorrow and I screw up and I fail, I don't care. Failing is success to me as long as I learn from it. And if you learn from your failure and improve upon it, that's not failing. That's succeeding. The only time failing is an issue is if you fail and then you don't make adjustment and then tomorrow, the next day you fail again in the same exact way. So to be completely honest, like I don't care if I fail. I'll pivot. I'll, I'll recover. I'll, I'll change my speech a little bit to fix myself. 
And because of that, I, I just don't care. I think too many people are afraid of failing when they shouldn't be. I think if I were to describe your life in one sentence, it was taking imperfect action every day. And I think that's the beauty of it, Aaron. So many people are afraid that to take imperfect action because they whiteboard and things have to be perfect before they do anything, right? You just went after it. Let's, let's go all the way back to the first day of long snap. In fact, I have a quote here. Chris Rubio was your long snap coach, right? Yeah. He made a comment in an article I read about you that he said, you know, his first day was bad. It was bad. <laughs> it, but, but you didn't care. And yeah. then you got, to, you got to college, and I'm sure you had your challenges, and you just kept taking imperfect action. Then you got into the business world, kept taking imperfect action, stood on stage, you know, and it's one imperfect action after another, and here you are inspiring thousands of people. So let's wrap the interview up with this, if we can, Aaron. You know, we're in very strange times, right? And for a lot of people, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of excuse-making. Let's face it, there's a lot of outside factors that have put people in tough positions. Somebody who's listening to this right now that may be making excuses or maybe saying, you know, I'm going to take action when I, or I'm not quite sure what the future holds, so I'm just going to sit still and wait. What advice would you give that individual? Look, there's never a good time to do something. It's never going to be the perfect time, so just do it now. We've been in this pandemic for what, let's, let's just say six months right now. By the end of this six month period, people are either 18 months ahead of their goals or six months behind. And I'll go into that quickly. If you have really taken advantage of this time, time locked your days and, and gotten a ton done, you could have gotten in 18 months of work in a six month period. Six months ago, my brand was so much further behind where it is now but because I've had the time and I've used it to my advantage, I've accelerated my growth. The people who sit on the couch and say, oh, I'm going to watch Netflix all day or oh, I'll do this later are the ones who are six months behind and it's only hurting them. And the longer they wait to start, the further they fall behind because the people like you and I who have been taking action every day are so much further ahead and widening that gap on a daily basis. Awesome. Couldn't have said it better, my man. I do have to ask one last important question I failed to ask. How are the Patriots going to do without Tom Brady? Man, all right. So at first, honestly, I thought we were going to do great with Cam Newton because I think that he has a lot to prove, and I think that he would fit in the system well. I think that, I think that he could have had a great year. I'm honestly a little concerned now because we have so many guys dropping out of the season. That being said, I mean, everything that's happening with college football now, the Big Ten just canceled their season. Who knows if the NFL season will even happen? Um, so, you know, if it happens today, I'm a little concerned. If it happens, if it, if six months ago or two months ago, before the guys start dropping out, I thought we were going to do great with with Cam Newton or something. But who knows if we're actually going to even have a season at this point? Yeah, so. that's again going back to all the uncertainty, right? Well, Aaron, if somebody wanted to reach out to you uh, right now, connect with you, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah. So first off, I have my podcast, Blind Ambition. You know, I, my website is AaronGalb.com. You can reach out through there, book me to speak. And I'm also Instagram. LinkedIn is Aaron Golub. Instagram is Aaron J. Golub. Shoot me a message. I, I, I respond to every message on Instagram unless I, for some reason, miss it. But, you know, I will respond. So shoot me a message. Would love to connect. See how I can help you collaborate. You never know where we can add value to one another. 
For you listening in, I, I hope you are just as inspired as I was. When I met Aaron, Aaron, you and I have only known each other for a couple of weeks, and I, I knew instantly I wanted you on the on the bullpen sessions because, you know, right now it's so easy to be making excuses. It's so easy to tell people why you can't do something or, you know, why you're not in a position to win. And your whole life has been about relentlessness, tenacity, and just not listening to all of the opinions. So many people don't achieve their true potential in life because they took the opinion of somebody else or they live their life based on other people's opinions. And it's so important that your message ring through this podcast today because, again, you had everybody probably telling you, Aaron, you can't, you shouldn't, it won't happen. And you said, I'm not listening to you. I'm just going to go outwork everybody. I'm going to have a clear goal and I'm going to have a clear game plan to take action every single day. And what happened? You ended up being the first legally blind Division I football player ever. And here you are, a successful businessman. So, again, if you are listening into this episode no more excuses. Put the work in. Take action. You're going to fail. Enjoy failure. Because when you look at failures as lessons to be learned, you're going to go out every single day enjoying failure because you know it takes you one step closer to success. So Aaron, with that being said, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, that. no, this, this was an awesome time. And again, for you listening in, remember, clarity and competence collide. Action happens. Go make it happen today. Hey, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you're finding bullpen sessions to be valuable to business in your life, do me a favor. Please go to Apple. Please subscribe. Give it a five-star rating. And if you have anybody else in your life, whether it's in your personal tribe or in your business that could also be impacted by listening to these episodes, do me a favor, share the bullpen sessions with them. I'd be extremely grateful. And until next time, go out, make it happen today. Put a smile on your face and have some fun.